This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Samovar Tea. Find out more at samovarlife.com and by listeners like you. To find out more about the podcast and make a donation, please visit insideactingpodcast.com. Welcome to episode 48 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer, and I'm flying solo on this episode, which any of our longtime listeners will uh, think is kind of funny because I actually flew solo on last year's tax episode. So it is tax season, and we are talking a lot about personal finances. Our last two episodes were with uh, our guest, Miata Idoga, who Trevor so affectionately referred to as the personal finance guru and on this episode we've got a fantastic interview with uh, actors tax prep uh, tax preparer Micah Scott so Micah has a, a ton of experience in, in in this area not only is he a tax preparer um, mostly for actors but he also is the uh, uh, chairperson for the um, SAG tax assistance program. So he's got a lot of a ton of experience in this area and we're really excited to have him. Um, his interview is is quite long, but since I am flying solo this week, we're pretty much just gonna make the entire episode his his interview and put it all into this one episode, especially since we want to get it out as quickly as possible. Obviously we're running a little late on our release this week. Um, Trevor and I have had uh, very busy schedules, uh, so busy as you can see that we were not even able to get together to uh, do the bookends for this episode. So enjoy the interview from Micah Scott, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. All right, guys, welcome back. I am sitting here with a uh, tax preparer and the head of the Screen, Act- Screen Actors Guild Tax Assistance Program um, and uh, a, an employee with uh, Actors Tax Prep, uh, Micah Scott. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you. So um, one of the things that we like to do uh, right off the bat is kind of get a, a little bit of an introduction and find out what got you into this crazy business in the first place. So um, we kind of like to start from the beginning, and if you could just tell our listeners sort of how you got into the biz, as it were. The biz of being an actor or the biz of being a tax preparer? Ah, both. Uh, both. <laughs> um, I uh, started doing theater in high school and spent four years in high school doing theater um, and have always been a theater actor. I um, did my time in the Navy, honorably discharged, went back home, did some college, and then decided I'm an actor, I need to move to L.A., and uh, did that a number of years ago. Um, <clears throat> and then along the way, eventually became uh, eligible to join the Screen Actors Guild, and once I did that, I knew that I wanted to start doing committee work, and... <clears throat> 
one of the committees that they had at the time was the Screen Actors Guild VITA program. Volun- VITA stood for volunteer, still does stand for volunteer income tax assistance. Mm-hmm. And I knew enough about taxes, and I kind of hel- was always helping my friends do their taxes and went, oh, okay, here's something I know a little bit about. Let me, let me go volunteer with this program. And um, a couple of years later, I realized that I knew a lot of what I needed to to be credentialed in the state of California. To uh, California at that time was only one of two states that required paid preparers to be credentialed. And so I went and took the necessary course exams and got my credentials that allowed me then to actually do taxes and to be paid for it. Where, uh, where did you get the uh, the... Initial experience. You said you were helping your friends kind of do their taxes and that kind of thing. Where did that come from? I, I don't know. It was <laughs> never. I, I don't have any background in it or anything. But I just, I just always understood simple tax forms, and it, to me, it was just very simple and and uh, easy for me to understand. And people, you know, my friends would go, oh, "I'm really having a hard time." Was this like, well, W two is wages. It goes on line seven. That's it's. It pretty much is what it is. And it's like, can you help me? And it's like, yeah, I can help you. So were these friends actors or non-actors or both? Both. Both. Both, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you said you did, you started doing theater in high school. Where was that? Uh, in Minnesota. I, I'm a native Californian. I was born here. I was born in San Diego, mm-hmm. but I was raised in Minnesota and uh, started doing theater in ninth grade. Uh, the senior high, junior high, went to a small schools, public school. The senior high, junior high were combined up until my last two years of high school. And... Um, once you were in ninth grade, you could go out for the high school plays, and so I fall year of my freshman year, I went out for the for the fall play and got a part and did theater, fell in love with theater, and I still love it to this day. All things being equal, I'd rather be on a stage than in front of the camera. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I love that. Um, so, when did you come back to Los Angeles? Um, there, there are three. There, <laughs> that's funny you asked that because I just recently realized there are three phases of my time in California. There was the uh, I was born phase, and then there was my Navy days. I, I was stationed on a ship in San Diego. Oh, okay. Uh, and then there's what I call the adult civilian years, which has been the last 26, 27 years that I've been living out here. So the three phases of living in California. Adult civilian years. Yes. Uh, except you're an actor, so that kind of doesn't make you a civilian. <laughs> well, unquestionably, even an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. Great. So um, talk to me about the VITA program, which is now known as the Tax Assistance Program. Yep. Um, I, I'll be honest. Until I met you, I had no idea that this even existed. So t- what what is it exactly? The IRS has two primarily two programs that are designed to help low income people do their taxes. One is called VITA V I T A Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, and the other one is called T C E Tax Counseling for the Elderly. They are uh, they're basically the same thing. It's just the emphasis for the elderly is more on retirement stuff than it's not. I see. And um, you've heard of free file if you have under as a single person. I think it's fifty five thousand dollars worth of w-2 wages you can go through the irs.gov website and find a place to do your free federal return um so oh, the IRS, interesting yeah, so the, as opposed to using a service like a, another online service or, or even a paid preparer like me yes interesting okay yeah. so so that's a that's a free way of of doing your taxes essentially. yeah yeah um but of course uh, it, it's going to be just a simple, what is it, like a 1040EZ at that point? Or is it even a, 
uh, a normal tax preparation? Yeah, a, a good question. I don't know enough about the free file program with the IRS to know if you can do, um, for example, can you do a Schedule, a schedule C, C right, on right. your free file? I don't know. That was actually going to be my next question. Yeah, I don't know. Because it, because if, 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 that's the, if that's not the case, if you can't do a Schedule C, then it becomes uh, not the smartest thing for an actor or artist to use the free filing system because um, we get we get potentially a lot of write-offs by using a Schedule C or, or using a Schedule C to submit our, our write-offs, correct? Well, yes. However, the primary purpose of a Schedule C is for reporting cash or 1099 miscellaneous income. It's not for writing off expenses. Ah. Though, once you have income on a Schedule C, you can write off expenses on a Schedule C. But if all of your, for example, the federal law says that if you work a union job, you must be, your wages must be reported to you on a W-2. You as a union member cannot do a union job and earn a 1099. It's just against federal law. So if all of your income as an actor is on W-2s, then you would not have a Schedule C. And then your acting expenses would get written off on a combination or would ultimately get written off on a Schedule A. And behind the Schedule A might be a Form 2106. And what is a Schedule A and what is a Form 2106? Schedule A (laughs) is itemized deductions. Ah, okay. So that's where you get to write off your charity and your medical and your business expenses and your home mortgage interest and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Everybody's allowed the standard deduction. Um, If you want to itemize, then you have to kind of prove your expenses and show it on the long form, the Schedule A. And then the 2106, and behind the Schedule A are some other forms. Uh, 2106 is what's called unreimbursed employee expenses. Employee is a technical term with the IRS. I believe it's a legal term as well. It implies W-2 wages. So you you as a union member, when you pay $1,000 a year in union dues, you write that off on, uh, in theory, on your 2106, which, mm-hmm. is, which then flows to the Schedule A mm-hmm. to be joined up with other expenses that then flows to your itemized total. So if you do non-union work, if you do some kind of um, uh, uh, personal business or something on, on the side, anything that's 1099, considered 1099 miscellaneous income, that's what goes on to the Schedule C. Correct. Okay. okay. So, sole proprietor business um, is where one reports cash income, and 1099 miscellaneous is considered as cash income. Okay. So it's the same thing. So to say a 1099 miscellaneous or cash is the same thing to the IRS. Gotcha. And I kind of <laughs> I took you off track. We, were, we went on a bit of a tangent here. So let's get back to the uh, the, the committee that you are the, actually the chair of. Is that, is I am that currently correct? the chairperson of the Screen Actors Guild Tax Assistance Program. Okay. So um, you left off on telling us about VITA and the, uh, the free filing. Yep. We, yeah, that's where we turned. Um, so the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance is a program that the IRS has, and they have very strict parameters that in order to set up a VITA site, you have to jump through the IRS hoops. And always, from the beginning of time, the Screen Actors Guild VITA program had always uh, operated outside of the firm parameters of the VITA site, though, or of the VITA class, or the VITA rules, though, always with the IRS's granting, uh, granting us an exception. 
for example, at the time, and I don't know what the current VITA rules are, but at the time, in order to do VITA site stuff, you couldn't do a long-form Schedule C on a tax return. Hmm. And we always do long-form Schedule right. Cs. And right. so the IRS would grant us an exemption from the rule. And so there was a lot of things. And then what happened a number of years ago... And the that, I- was that only for people who were members of the Screen Actors Guild that they were making that exception? It was for, yes, because our our VITA site was given this exception. Some other VITA sites were given some other exceptions. Interesting. Um, there, um, and our VITA site, though, it was called the Screen Actors, technically at the time it was called the Screen Actors Guild Howard Kane VITA Program. And we worked in concert with AFTRA and Equity, and the three unions together did the the VITA program. And so all three got that exception, actually. Correct. Okay. Yes. And, and then, um, and we were always granted the exception by some of the rules that the VITA were, were said, you know, you're limited to this, you can't do this, you can't do that, or you must do this, or you must do that. And every year we would petition for exceptions and they would grant them. And then a number of years ago, I'm going to guess five years, and I, I don't hold me to that, but about five, six years ago, the IRS put all the VITA sites on notice all throughout the country that um, we are going through a three-year transition period at the end of which there will be no exemptions. You will adhere to the letter of the rule of what is VITA. And um, we got through the first year, and then the second year, I don't remember if we got through the second year, but it was either at the beginning of the second year and certainly by the beginning of the third year that we we just they 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 were just saying no to our exceptions and right. for us to maintain the vita program their vita moniker because it's a brand it's a brand that the irs uses the word vita oh interesting. it's a registered brand with the internal revenue service and so in order for us to it's like selling hamburgers if i want to sell hamburgers i don't sell hamburgers i just can't call them mcdonald's <laughs> right so so i can <laughs> offer tax assistance i just can't call it vita because the irs owns the word Vita, and, and that's where the name change, and came that's from. where the name change came. And because we had, we did the math, and we realized that if we adhered to the strictest rules of the of the IRS's Vita program, we expected that we were going to help less than fifty people combined between the three unions. And that's just not what the tax assistance program is ever been as about. In, as 50. in five zero, five zero, yeah, <laughs> compared to the tens of thousands of actors that are members of those three unions combined? Right, yes. Wow. Now, and, and, and New York has their own VITA program and some of the other, or own tax assistance program and some of the other locations throughout the country. So mm-hmm. when I'm talking about our program, I'm talking about the Hollywood Division, the general membership, which uh, in Southern California, based out, of course, um, the Screen Actors Guild headquarters here. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that you may or may not have an answer to uh, because you are sort of entrenched in the union world, but a lot of our listeners are non-unions. Is there any type of program like this for non-union actors out there? Well, believe it or not, um, I don't know. That's the short answer. I don't know. However, let me give you a caveat. There are, uh, if somebody were to write to the Screen Actors Guild Tax Assistance Program and ask for the packet, which is in tax preparer world, it's called the or- an organizer. Mm-hmm. Um, your tax person gives you this thing to fill out. They, in, in the tax world, it's called an organizer. In the Screen mm-hmm. Actors Guild, that the tax assistance program, we call it the packet because back in the day it was the packet. <laughs> and um, we are very liberal because we send that out electronically. It has no cost to us. 
Okay. So if they were to to request that in, uh, we would send that. But it's just a good, thorough tax organizer, which you can go pretty much anywhere and get a tax organizer. Um, now, beyond that, um, there are... Uh, to answer more specifically your question, people who are not a member of the union, where can they go, or member of any of the unions, where they can they go? They're, they're, they could go to a Vita site, uh, the local library or the local YMCA, or there's a lot of just just Google or do a search on Vita. They could find that, and as long as they meet the parameters, they can do that. And there's a lot of civic organizations and stuff that offer tax assistance help. So there's a lot of help out there for pretty much any type of a taxpayer or a tax, yeah, taxpayer, that um, if they want, they can go find it without any worry about what they are or who they are. And, and the the packet, as you called it, yeah. is that similar to, because I think you guys have something like that on com, correct? Correct, okay. yeah. It's an organizer. Right. That's all right. it is. It helps right. It helps you, the taxpayer, put together your receipts and your records and stuff so that when you go do your taxes or you go to somebody who's mm-hmm. going to help you or do them for you, right. you've got everything kind of put together right. in right. a structured format. I actually I teach a, a workshop for actors called Digital Actor Workshop, and your site is actually one of the uh, resources that I recommend hmm. as just getting information about yes. your taxes. Yes. Um, so that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, that you guys offer that Thank for you. free, as does the, the Screen Actors Guild. So if any of our listeners are union, you can check out um, this this committee. So while we're on the subject of getting organized, one of the major things that I wanted to ask, because it is tax season after all, and um, you know people only have a, a two more weeks as of this recording to, to, um, <clears throat> to actually file their taxes, I do want to ask you about some of the major, major questions, and I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but maybe um, you can be a little bit more specific that in addition to being organized, in addition to saving your receipts, keeping organized, um, and using some kind of organizer, tax organizer, once tax season comes around, what are some of the things that actors can do to... Um, make their lives easier as far as taxes go, uh, maximize their um, return, minimize their headaches when when tax season you know does come around every year um, it 's a simple answer. it can be somewhat of a long answer, though the simplest thing is to keep records mm-hmm. this is uh, and everybody 's heard this show business. And it, it, we work on the side as being the business side. So um, there's not a lot of uh, classes that one takes or is otherwise interested in about how to do business smartly because we're all creative types and we want to go take <laughs> our craft classes. However, Correct. one of the things that, in, that I would do in, uh, when we would teach classes at the Screen Actors Guild um, VITA program or even sometimes when I just get brought in to speak to a group and uh, I have a little, a little seminar that I do called Acting as a Business where I talk primarily 99, 98% of what I talk about is the business side of acting and like what is a good headshot i don't i don't take pictures but i can i can explain to you what is a good headshot um the record keeping one of the things i tell people is if you're smart a business person and you do and you do this business smartly you don't need 
um, and I know that there are going to be some that take exception with this, but in theory, you can be a poor actor when it comes to craft, but yet understand business concepts. And statistically, you will be in this business longer than a person who who does craft well and business poorly. I don't think... Our actors will take offense to that okay. at all because it's something that we have talked about many, many times yeah. uh, you know, on, on the podcast. So the first thing as an actor is that you're a business person. And if you don't want to be a business person, then this is not the business for you. <laughs> um, uh, I, I had a friend of mine who who's, uh, I used to do her taxes, or still do her taxes. Um, she was a professional person, credentialed and licensed. And, and, and she used to have her own practice. And she decided that she, what she, she didn't like the fact that she had to be a businesswoman. She wanted to be a doctor, and she she said, I, I, I need to give up my own practice, and went to work then, so just to become a regular doctor, because she, all of her time was taken doing business, and she wasn't seeing patients, wasn't doing patient care. So um, as an actor, we have, to, we have to understand that this is a business, and you have to either be doing business, or this is where you sometimes hire somebody to do business for you. You hire a business manager, you, you hire a bookkeeper, or a tax preparer. It's kind of like, um, there comes a time when you may want to professional in your life. You can brush and floss your teeth every day, but every once in a while you need to bring in a dentist just to, if, for another reason for a checkup, right. but sometimes because you have a problem. There's a time in which it's smart business to bring in somebody. Right. So so b- treat it as a business. Understand that. Um, keep records. Keep them somewhat structured and ordered. A shoebox of receipts is better than no receipts at all. <laughs> However, a shoebox of receipts on April 13th does you nor me any good because they have to be ordered and structured. Sure. So um, the simplest, I, there are people that can create just really uh, detailed spreadsheets of what all their expenses are. And the IRS has general categories, and we operate from the concept, if you understand the general categories, then then it doesn't matter. So like advertising publicity is a general category that the IRS uses when it comes to business expenses. Mm-hmm. So it, some people call their headshots advertising and publicity. Some people call them office expenses. I don't care what you call it. Just <laughs> put it on there and know right. where it is. But right. so if you have postcards and headshots and resumes and you just lump all that together and say there's $127 worth of office expenses or uh, I'm sorry advertising publicity expenses that's good enough for me I don't need it all broken down I just need to know how you're categorizing it so um, Un- that, unless you're audited unless you're well in your audited so if you were to get audited in this example they would they could say you know should, explain to us this $127 of advertising and publicity and that's where you go, oh, 37 of it is postcards, um, you know, 50 of it is uh, printing my pictures, and the rest was the photographer. Okay. So. Okay. And and uh, what what do you need in that case to prove it? Is it like a receipt, an email, uh, yep. you know, uh, some, some kind of... Um, I've heard you can even handwrite something, right? As well, long as it, you have the date and, yeah. and 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 the and the and the the amount, yeah, um, and put it into your filing system. Yeah. Is, is that is that true? There there is some truth to that. Um, so going back to the example I used, where one hundred and twenty seven dollars worth of advertising and publicity, um, and for those that were running the paper, I don't, I'm not doing the, my math here, so I don't know if my numbers really came up to one hundred and twenty seven dollars. <laughs> but the um, it, it, when I put on the tax return, when you put on the tax return, one hundred and twenty seven dollars and the IRS says please explain that to me you can say well here are the three things that equal 127 but if on the tax return
return, you you busted it out, and you said here's here's one, two, and three, and this equals 127. Then they can say, show me the receipt for that one. And you, the more information you give them in tax return, the more specific they can give. If I gave them a lump number of 127 dollars, they're going to come to me and say, what does this represent? As opposed, and then and then. You know, I, I might have realized, oh, I, I it was backwards. The, the photographer was different than was the printing. But that way I don't get into trouble going, oh, I, I put the wrong number in the wrong form. So that's one. Two is you don't need for anything. The IRS allows anybody with a professional occupation, regardless of whether it's a W-2 job or a uh, cash job, you're, anyone is allowed to write off what's called usual and ordinary expenses in the course of doing their job or occupation that's not considered an extravagant expense and is not reimbursed. And this is the this is the tax code that where why actors are allowed to write off headshots and plumbers aren't. For actors, <laughs> a headshot is usual and ordinary. For a plumber, a headshot is not usual and ordinary. So that's that's the way the tax code's written. Now, the the I need a receipt. The IRS tax code also says that I don't need a receipt for anything under for most things. That's less than seventy five dollars, provided okay. I wrote it in my log and a log could be an excel spreadsheet it could be just a calendar that you keep you just it could, literally could be a piece of paper i wrote it down i went to i went to target today and here's here's an antiquated story i went to target today and bought a a a, a telephone answering machine for my home <laughs> phone and it spent $35 and either the dog ate the receipt or i lost the receipt or i forgot to get a receipt from target but i use it for business that's why i bought it so i never miss my my agent's phone calls sure. And can I still write that off because I don't have the receipt? Yes, you can. You can write it off because it was a business expense. And because it's less than $75, you just write it in your log. I spent $35 on a phone answering machine today. Gotcha. Now, if that was $135, you would need the receipt because it's greater than 75 Okay. And if, you know, a lot of people, I'm using this example because, this is the case with me. A lot of people go to uh, you know a headshot photographer who you know may own their own business, but it's not exactly like they don't they don't work in like a brick and mortar you know store. You just go to the guy's apartment. You know, so I went to yeah. this person's apartment. Um, uh, he took my headshots. I emailed him afterwards saying like, oh, I forgot to ask you for a receipt, and he never actually got back to me. I remember exactly how much it was, and I did end up writing it off of my taxes. Uh, so hopefully nobody from the IRS is listening to this. I did end up writing it off on, on my taxes, but he never got back to me with a receipt. Is that email that I sent to him enough? I mean, what what is what would be what would I need from somebody like that who doesn't actually have a business with a card swiper and a little you know receipt printer? How do how does that person prove to me so that I can prove to the IRS that I spent three hundred dollars on? On headshots, right? Well, that's the first thing is let's 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 clarify between you and I that we're talking about an expense greater than seventy five dollars. Right, right. It, um, so it, let's it, use the three hundred dollar figure. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, now here, let me give you a worst case scenario. When when I do your taxes for you, when I prepare your taxes for you, I am thinking about audit. 
I'm not thinking. You know, I can, we can, in theory, we could put a million dollars down on every line <laughs> of your 1040 today, and none of it matters until you get audited. Right. D- should you put a million dollars down on every line? Absolutely not. Why? Because you'll get audited. Right. So, so we always think from the perspective of the audit, and the IRS trains us as preparers that to to make sure that when you're doing something with your taxes, that we we have some responsibility to make sure and have reason to believe. We're asked by the IRS to we have reason to believe that you're being truthful and representing accurate numbers here. I, I the tax preparers? Yeah, yeah the, oh, IRS is, the, the IRS, part of what's going on is the IRS has become, begun a campaign a couple of years ago. They are, they, this is my term, they are turning us into the first-line auditors for the IRS. The, the actual preparers. Yeah, yeah. It used to be that you could come into our office, or, or any preparer's office, and say, oh, I have this expense, and here it is. And we'd go, okay, we find that to be reasonable, and then we put it down. And then you get audited, and you can't prove it, and then they come back to me going, you should never have put this number down because he couldn't prove it or it was unreasonable or something. So they're actually requiring us now um, in part of our credentialing and stuff is that they are requiring that we 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 do what's called vetting to make sure that we have right. reason to believe that you can you, can you prove. If you come to me and say, well, I have this $1,000 expense, but I could never prove it and audit, I'm not allowed to put it on your tax return. Huh. It used to be that you would sign a waiver saying you can you can prove these things, and I that was good enough to cover me, this the CYA CYA portion of that. But it's not as true anymore, and so I I am given a lot of training by the IRS and the Franchise Tax Board in the state of California, as well as any other taxing authorities, to to um, make sure that there that you have credibility with what you're representing, because you both you and I sign your return. If I'm a pre- paid preparer, I have to sign your return. Right, right. Yeah. So I mean, you, I mean, it makes sense that you're accountable. Yep. I think it's interesting that the IRS is, um, like you said, turning in you into a, a first line. First, auditor, first line auditor. That's, we are. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And that, again, that's my <laughs> phrase. My phrase. My name is Micah. My C A H. Those are my words. The IRS does not say that. But talk to any preparer about what our requirements are, and they'll agree with that. Yeah, we are first line. We are listening to this right now, going, "Yep, yep, yep." Um, Okay. Well, while we're on the subject of uh, getting audited and write-offs and all of that, um, let's talk myths. Let's talk myths a little bit. I have I have some questions I'd like to ask, and then I'm sure you have some that are like this comes up every year, yep. and, and and it's just a myth that you can or cannot write this Correct. off. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that has been confusing me, mostly because for the last couple of years I've actually done this, but people keep trying to tell me that it's not possible is writing off commuting miles. So you have the commuting miles, which are you know miles to and from uh, work you actually get paid for, and then you have miles that are sort of business miles, non-commuting mm-hmm. miles, which are to and from things you don't necessarily get paid for. For instance, go to and from the place where you get your headshots printed, to and from auditions, to and from you know a 99-seat theater production you're doing, the rehearsals and the performances of that. Um, is what what is the difference between commuting and non-commuting? Is that the is that the difference between non-commuting and commuting miles? And can you write off the actual commuting miles? 
The the answer the first answer is no, you can never write off commuting miles. Commuting miles are those miles that you drive to and from your W two job. Mm-hmm. So let's let's make sure that we understand that commuting miles are are almost always related to W two job. Think of it this way: the clerk at Target and the the bank teller at Wells Fargo cannot write off their miles to and from work. No one is allowed to write off their commuting expenses. Okay. Period. That's the rule. Now, once so, I work for I I work for Actors Tax Prep. When I come in here, I'm not allowed to write off my miles here. However, once I get here, if the boss wants to or the company sends me on an errand, and I use my own car and they don't reimburse me, I now have business miles. So when he says, "Here's my credit card. Run down to Staples and pick me up a folding chair," and he's not going to reimburse me my miles. I get to figure out, oh, that's that's three miles one way, six miles round trip. I now have six business miles today that I'm going to be able to put in my log and write off at the end of the year. So business miles are uh, those miles for which I'm not reimbursed, but they're never commuting miles. Now, I've seen commuting miles on a lot of the different packets. Correct. A lot of different or- organizers. organizers. Yep. Uh, why should we put them down? Great question. If you can't write them off. The reason why is because there's a lot of things that go into your tax return and uh, that are in an organizer that is that helps verify that you keep records. So, um, so it's almost like they're there to prove the non-commuting miles. Correct. Ah. Okay. Yes. There it yes. is. Because sometimes what you don't write off but can prove helps validate that which you write off. Would you like an example? Absolutely. Because here's something that will probably come up. Um, I'm an actor, and I, I write off. I, I want to write off all of my movie rentals and all of my theater going and all of my movie experiences. Um, and then we go, sorry, you can't. Again, the clerk at Target and the bank teller at Wells Fargo can't write it off, so you can't write it off. Well, I was told it's research, and I can write off research. Well, that's true. You know what? Anybody can write off research. The plumber can write off research. So what is your research, and how do you do this? So the great example is if you're an actor and you go to a movie a week, at the end of the year you've gone to 52 movies. Can you write all those off? No. No, the short answer is no. Um, but but I'm, a, I, I'm an actor. I wouldn't go to the movies anyway if I wasn't an actor doing research. The IRS says no. Now, are, are there some movies in there that maybe you could legitimize and say, you know what, this was true and proper research. It wasn't entertainment and personal. Um, sure. Let's say, let's say you go through your 52 movie stubs and you go, you know what, I'm going to write off these five movies. Let's pick five. And and you can show how going to that movie at that time was closely related to uh, an audition you were going to be doing or a job that you had been hired for and you went to that movie to see something about that movie that was going to help you in that was specifically related, not just the general concept of I'm doing research. So when you go into an audit and the auditor says, "Oh, you're writing off five movies here. You wrote off you wrote off fifty bucks for a research. What is that? Oh, it's movie. It's um, theaters. It's it's. I went to movies, and the auditor is likely to say, uh, "No, you can't write that off. That's personal." And then you say, "Yeah, but it's research, and here's why it's research." And they go, "Okay, here's a question that they're liable to ask: Is this a hundred percent of your movie going experience that year? Well, no, it's not. Prove that to me." Oh, here's 47 tickets I didn't write off. Ah. Record keeping. So the 47 I didn't write off helps validate the five I did write off. Interesting. Yeah. 
Okay. So there's times where your record keeping, your organizer, and even in the tax return, there is stuff sometimes that's used for the purpose of helping establish that you keep records. So those miles actually do get sort of submitted to the IRS, or they go on your actual tax form. Correct. There is on your form, there is a, there is a place for me to put in there your commuting miles when I do your tax return. Yeah. That, see, that's what was confusing to me is because, it, you know, there's a, there's a spot for it, yep. but you're not actually writing it off. Right. Well, and part of it is also that the IRS says everybody has to have commuting miles. So even on your W-2 job, so let's, let's change the scenario a little bit about miles. Um, when you're self-employed and you're going to your, your cash job, you're going to go to a print job. Now, we're both union actors. We're both, we're, we're both SAG members. Um, and, but print work isn't covered by any union. So we can, we can work non-union in print world without being in trouble with our unions. Okay. And so we, we get hired to do a print job, and we're going to get paid $1,000, and they're going to give us a 1099 at the end of the year for that. When I went to work that day, those are business miles. Those are not commuting miles because commuting miles is about my W-2 job. Right. So uh, those are business miles. However, the IRS even says that everybody has to have commuting miles for all your jobs, and there's a, what's called the salesman's rule of being able to determine uh, what were your commuting miles, what were my commuting miles that day. And it's just easy. If you have a W-2 job, you go, there are my commuting miles, and these are my business miles, and it's it, it, it's... It, it can it can get rather rather hair splitting, mm-hmm. but they they want to see commuting miles. So if you if you for instance, um, you know, are lucky enough to uh, let's say you book a let's say you book a series or something, okay, and you are going to set every day or every other day. Yep. Um, and obviously it's a union job, so those are it's all W two income. That's all going to be co- considered commuting miles. Just like the clerk clerk at Target or the bank teller at Wells Fargo. That's correct. Awesome. Um, so glad to get that clarification. Now I'm sure there are plenty of other myths uh, out there. I mean, this mileage one was just the first one that I thought of. But uh, what are some of the ones that that you see, you know, actors coming back to you year after year with, uh, you know, I want to write this off, or uh, you know, can I write this off? Uh, what are what are some of those examples? Well, first of all, the funny thing is, is hopefully it's not the same person that's coming back with the same questions every year. Right. No, I just meant actors in general. Yes. Well, and every once in a while you do get the client that goes, and it was like, we talked about this last year. And it's like, yeah, but I thought maybe something changed. So um, here's a great example. I hear it all the time. Uh, I'm an actor. I must maintain my daily look in order to look like my headshot, and therefore I want to write off all my hair and makeup. And the answer is no, you're not. Again, the, 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 the people at Disneyland who have grooming standards by company policy, they can't write off their head, they can't write off their haircuts, and neither can you. Now, if, um, so this is the look I want, and this is why we tell actors and when we do the acting as business seminar that you, you know, have a look if you want. If you want purple hair, that's fine if that's how you want to live your day-to-day life. But once you decide that that's how you're going to live your day-to-day life, you lose any ability to be able to write off business expenses as it relates to that. So as I'm sitting here, here's an example. As I'm sitting here, I'm a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Irishman. And if Spielberg hires me and says, I want to put you in Jurassic Park 10, and <laughs> um, but I need you to be a, a redhead, a carrot-top redhead, but I don't have it in my budget to turn you into a carrot-top redhead. Would you would you be willing to do that if I give you the part? And I say, let me think about it. Yeah, okay, I'm going to work for Spielberg. Of course, I'll do it. So I go down to um, you know Rodeo Drive and I spend three hundred and fifty dollars to have my hair turned into Lucy Red. 
Uh-huh. And uh, and over the course of shooting, I maintain it every two weeks, and I get my roots done. At the end of which, I uh, either turn it back to the stunning blonde that I am, <laughs> or I uh, or I just allow it to grow out naturally. Then I can give you a good argument that I have a legitimate business expense, out of pocket expense that was directly related to the pursuit of work or work. There was a definitive beginning, a definitive end, and it was and it was used in the course of looking for work or work. Now, so now I have a write-off. Now I can spend, so I write off the $350 that it took to put me into the being the redhead. I write off the, the root treatment, and, and I spent another $150 at the end to turn me back into the blonde. And now I, I add all that up. It comes up to $750, and I have a business expense. That, that, that is very arguable, mm-hmm. legitimate business expense. Um, however, let's change the scenario a little bit. I turn myself into a redhead, and I find out that I became a chick magnet. And at the end of the shooting, I decide to maintain my red hair. <laughs> I have lost all of my business right off because I gave up my definitive end where it was directly related to the pursuit of work or working. And so somebody said, well, you can straight right off the front end, the 350 that it took to, nope, can't. Because I, I, when, I lost one of the, when I lost one of the wheels, the wagon fell apart. So that's that's what we tell people in a business. Now the IRS doesn't. It's not in the code that way. But that would be the argument you use when you go into an audit. This is why I'm writing off my $750 hair expense that year. Spielberg hired me to do a part. He wasn't. He wanted me a redhead, and he wasn't going to pay for it. And I decided to absorb the cost. And so now this is a legitimate business expense. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that same thinking can be applied to clothing for actors. Uh, yes, although the rules again, the IRS is a little more clear. The 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 rule the IRS says if they the IRS considers that piece of clothing a general streetwear item, you're never allowed to write it off, the acquisition of it. Mm-hmm. However, once you use it in the course of work, if you have to get it fixed or maintained or repaired because of work usage, then you're allowed to write off the the repair of it. So you you wear you bought a three piece suit. Um, that you can't write off the acquisition of that, regardless of why you bought it. You're just not, well, I, 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 Spielberg hired me, and he needed me in a suit. And sorry, no, you, because this three-piece suit is a general streetwear item, the IRS says. Nobody's ever allowed to write that off. But well, after using it for two weeks every day on the set, I decided to get it cleaned, and it cost me 30 bucks to get it cleaned. Because the cleaning is directly related to the, work, the, the use of work, I can write off the $30 dry cleaning bill. Okay. Or the repair bill if I, you know, had to get the, the the pants darned because I got a hole in them or something. So, so if it's not general streetwear, if we have to buy like a, you know, oversized cowboy hat or, um, you know, yep. uh, I don't know, clown pants or exactly. something like that. Yeah, if it's that, not, you can be that can be written off. Yep, because because the IRS allows you to write off your uniforms. So if you were a security guard. At Warner Brothers, and they didn't buy your uniforms. I don't know that they do or they don't, but you're a security guard, and you need to you need to wear a security guard shirt and pant. You're allowed to write that off because it's not considered a general streetwear item. Though you walk down to your local grocery store and you see the Warner Brothers security guards in there in their uniform, but the IRS says that's not a general streetwear item. I'm not a cop. If I want to go down to the local uniform store and buy a cop outfit so I can play a cop, then I can write that off. If I want to buy a Santa suit, those are costumes. Okay. So, yeah. 
So that's the difference. That, that's the difference. If okay. the IRS considers it a general streetwear item. Now, here's another example. Um, a couple of years ago, I had uh, an artist, a named artist, who had a bunch of backup dancers, and I was doing the returns for a lot of the backup dancers. And they were going through, the male, the male backup dancers were going through one white cotton T-shirt a day in performance while they were on tour. And, and they literally were going through one brand new one every day. They put it on at the beginning of the show. At the end of the show, it was trashed. And they wanted to write off their white cotton T-shirts. And they couldn't. Why? Because the IRS says it's a general streetwear item. But they only bought it for the show. I understand that. But the IRS says no. Now, had production bought the T-shirts, production could have written it off as a cost and then given the 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 dancers the t-shirt to use but the the dancers themselves were not allowed to write off their own out-of-pocket expense for that Mm. because it was a general streetwear item wow that's an expensive t-shirt it is (laughs) all right so i i don't know why but i feel like i've never asked a tax preparer this this next question and i would just like to hear your 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 take on it or i mean i guess you know the exact definition but what is a write-off well Interesting. Um, a write-off is kind of a broad, basic term. And on your tax return, there are basically three different things or four different things. There's income. Income could be your wages on W-2. It could be your cash income. It can be your interest, your dividends, your alimony that you receive. It can be your unemployment. There's a lot of things that are income. And then there are basically three things that are fall under the category of a write-off. A write-off is a takeaway. Um, things that take away from income or your tax liability. The first category is called an adjustment. And that comes off dollar for dollar against your income. Adjustments are on the bottom of the, on the as you, when you look at a 1040 long form, a 1040 form, the top part, lines 7 through 22-ish, are income, and then lines 24-ish through 32 are adjustments. And those are, anything that goes on there lowers your income dollar for dollar. So uh, adjustments are a good thing because they have the biggest value as far as what it does to your tax return. What are some examples of adjustments? Uh, Adjustments, um, self-employment tax paid, moving expenses, uh, QPA, qualified performing artist, um, student loan deduction. Uh, Those are some examples of uh, uh, IRA contributions. Depending on the, depending, there are certain rules, but those are adjustments. They come off dollar for dollar. So when someone comes to me and says, "Here are my write-offs," I have to figure out: is it an adjustment, is it a, a an itemization, or is it a business expense, or is it something that goes to a tax credit? So, and so there's there's an example the, of the what's other an adjustment. Two, the other two. Yep. categories are itemizations and well itemizations which uh, business expenses and itemizations kind of could go hand in hand so an itemization is medical expenses um, charitable contributions uh, home mortgage interest taxes paid to a state those are in word because we're talking in reference to your federal tax return so taxes paid to a state you get to write those off in your tax return and so those are part those are things that go toward your itemizations or your standard deduction or your itemizations and then there's expenses now expenses are related usually to income if you did not have income you do not have an expense i i'm an actor i had zero dollars in income as an actor 
there is a very strong argument that the IRS would give you, you you are not allowed to write off any expenses. If you don't have income, you don't have expenses. Though you might have paid things, but if you didn't have income, this is why we tell actors, make sure you have income every year. Make sure you have income. Now, I don't want to do background work, and I didn't find any principal work, so at the end of the year, I have my I have my $15,000 waitering job, uh, and I've got $5,000 in actor's expenses, but I have no actor's income. You know what? I've got no place to put your $5,000 of acting expenses because there's no income to attach it to. So you have to have income so in order to have expenses. Wow. So if I'm if I just rolled into town, yep. into into Los Angeles or yep. New York or what have you, I guess let's use Los Angeles since we're in California. If I roll into town and I I work my tail off for a year getting headshots done, printing those headshots, all this stuff, going to auditions um, and I don't make any money as an actor that whole year, I can't write any of that off. Generally speaking, that's correct. There are some there are some chances that you might be able to write something off. If you came to town, let's where did you come from? Give me a place. We're playing here now. Where did you come uh, from? Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. So you come to LA. What were you doing in Salt Lake City before you came here? Uh, I don't know, working at a retail store. A retail store. So when you came here you changed professions. Yes. Great. The, well, I mean, the, I probably still work at a retail store when okay. I got here. So the expenses incurred in changing professions is never an expense to the to the IRS. It has no tax consequences. I'm a baker. I want to become a plumber. So it, whatever I do to become a plumber, I can't write any of that off to change my profession or trade or occupation. Huh. Now, once I'm in that trade or occupation or profession and I'm earning income, my expenses that I incur in order to maintain my, my level of training or experience or credentials or, or to improve my training and my experience to be able to do that job, I'm allowed to write that off. But the transition from one profession or occupation to another, no. So you come to town as an actor. That you, if, you're, if you weren't an actor before you got to town, you better start making income as an actor in order to be able to write off your expenses. So generally speaking, now, I, I will tell you, and because there's going to be a pre- preparer sitting out there listening to this podcast that's going to go, what about job search? What about job search? Once you've, once you've worked in a profession, there are what are called, you're allowed to write off anybody, again, the clerk at Target, your, your retail job, um, the bank teller, the, the plumber, you're allowed to write off what are called job search expenses. The money you expend, expenses you incur in looking for a job in the field or occupation in which you already work. So I worked for five years in an actor. For, for me, I came from a theater background. And for 10 years, I, at some point, once I, after I moved to L.A., well, after I moved to L.A., I started doing film and television. I had never done film and television. I wanted to learn about voiceovers, and I wanted to learn about commercials. Film and television, it's like, okay, let me go, let me go do this genre for a while. So it's still an actor, so I still have my expenses. That's not a problem. But during that time, there was a time when... Um, uh, let's say uh, I went through a year and all I had was my bill paying job, whatever I was doing. Uh, but I had no acting income that particular year. But I had $5,000 worth of acting expenses. I could, I could, in theory, write those off on my taxes as an expense under the category of job search because I had already established that I already earn money and work as an actor. However, I wouldn't, 
as a tax preparer and as the you know in many other ways i would never allow i would you come to me one year and you had a dry year and you had no income and you've always been you've always had acting income and you've always had acting expenses and this year you come to me and say here's my 2010 stuff um, but i had zero zero income as an actor but i had five thousand dollars in expenses chances are i would put those five thousand dollars on your tax return because i would classify them as job search expenses if you come to me next year with the same scenario, I'm not doing it two years in a row because there's you, you lose the credibility the longer you go. And there's a lot of people in this town that are working $50,000 a year at a geek job or is doing something. They're waiting for the right audition or the, or the right call from Spielberg or Lucas. And, and they're, they're, they're taking classes and they're doing the professional development and they, they have current headshots, but they have no acting income. They've not had acting income for five years and they're trying to write off their expenses. And if they get audited, the IRS is going to kick that out because you have no income. So. so that just made me think of two questions. Yep. Number one, what is considered income? I mean, as an actor, can right. it come from anywhere? It can be 1099. You, you mentioned correct. background work. Yep. Does it matter where it comes from? It does not. But you just have to report it, obviously. That's correct. Okay. And second question, is there, because this, this may be a myth, I've heard that there is a sort of a... a, a a limit, maybe it's spoken, maybe it's unspoken, a limit to the number of years in which you can take a loss. In other words, your your uh, write-offs uh, are, or, or expenses are more than your income um, in that particular profession. I've heard five years, some people say, like, you know, after that, the IRS gets suspicious. Is there an actual rule or is this sort of an unspoken thing where you might get audited after taking a loss for, you know, because I've heard other people say it doesn't matter at all. Right. Um, so, is there a, a law? Is there something in the tax code? What is the what's the what's the real answer there? Well, the real answer the, the real answer is that the IRS says you either have a hobby or a job, or a business. I'm sorry, it's a hobby or business. And if you go look up and do research with the IRS, what is a hobby versus a business? You'll find out that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of things that are different. Um, and uh, the difference is a business is allowed to have a loss. A hobby is not. So for an example, um, you sit on the corner and you sell pencils. And it's not your only job and you have other jobs and other income, but you have just you, you have designer pencils and you're selling them. And um, you have to report the income and you're allowed to write off expenses. Now, if it's a hobby, you can only write off expenses to the point at which you have income. You have $10 in income, but $25 in in expenses, you can only take $10 in expenses, therefore creating a zero. So you have zero mm -hmm. profit. Okay, that's good because then you have to pay taxes on it. But the $15 that you spent over and above that, it, you just have to eat because you're not allowed to go into the hole as a hobby. Mm -hmm. Now, a business is allowed to take that $15 and go, I'm at a negative $15. So it's this, this is where this five-year rule comes in. It's not a hard and fast rule, to my understanding, in the IRS tax code. Uh, it is, however, they, the IRS does like to see a profit two years out of five and it, because it goes to profit. A business, by definition, is designed to be making a profit. And so that doesn't mean you always have to be making a profit, but you have to be working toward that end. And if you're not working toward that end, then you don't have a business, you have a hobby. And then different rules apply. So um, if you have, and, and as an actor, when you have only W-2 wages, it's, there, there's usually never a problem. It's, it's the whole loss as it relates to your Schedule C is where it becomes a big deal. It helps to know how is this reported in your tax return. 
So you have, you have, let me give you a broad brush. You have acting expenses, one bucket, and it's $10,000. It's important how it, the 10000 breaks out, but it, for, the, for what I'm, we're talking about right now, you have a total acting expenses of $10,000. Expenses? Expenses. Okay. Okay? Yeah, headshots and manager and agent, okay. all that stuff, $10,000. Okay. You have income on W-2, and you have income on your Schedule C, which, again, remember, is 1099 miscellaneous and cash income as an actor. Right. You could have four different Schedule Cs on your, on your tax return. Because each occupation and profession has their own Schedule C. Okay. And you can only write off expenses. So now you have you have cash income as an actor and you have W-2 wages as an actor. So we have to take that $10,000 bucket of acting expenses and we have to put some of the expenses on the 1099 on the Schedule C. And we have to put some of them on the W-2 or on the 2106 for the W-2 wages. So we have to allocate, and we're allowed to do what's called direct allocation or indirect allocation. Indirect is the simplest. It says your your income as an actor is 60-40 W-2 to cash. You know what? We're going to take 60% of your expenses and put it against your W-2 wages. We're going to take 40% of your expenses and put it against your cash income. Okay. That So that's the first thing, is because that's the what the IRS, one, allows, and two, sometimes requires. So... Okay. Um, and then now, if that creates a, a loss on your Schedule C, that's not as significant should you continue to have that every year, as is the fact that because you have W two income in the same profession, which is acting, mm-hmm. so it helps offset some of the, the the stuff. If if all you were doing is print jobs or non union work and getting paid as a ten ninety nine, and you had no acting income. Uh, as, as a W-2 person, as an employee, that would become a little more alarming to the IRS that you continue to have a negative Schedule C all the time. So I guess then my next question becomes, how do you prove, <laughs> this is kind of funny, how do you prove that you are a business? In, in other words, yeah. if yeah. you're trying to use, if you're trying to have business expenses and let's say you are taking a loss and let's say you are taking a loss for five years or what have you, yep. but you're trying to prove to them it's not a hobby, it's yep. not a hobby, it's not a hobby, I'm really doing this and here's a little bit of income that I have, but I'm yep. still taking a loss yep. because I'm working so hard to get to a point where I'm not taking a loss anymore. Right. How do you prove to the IRS, this is a business, I'm not messing around here, this isn't yep. a hobby that I'm, yep. that I'm doing here. Great question. And when I, in my acting as a business seminar, one of the things I tell people is what do, what do other businesses do? Well, first of all, they keep records. They, they usually have a separate account from personal business. That's <laughs> not a requirement. We just had our, our last guest, uh, Miata Idoga, uh, uh, recommended that you create a second checking account in your own name, same thing, but that's your sort of your business income and, and, yep. and expenses. And don't tell the bank it's business because they're going to charge you business rates, but just open a second account and just call it and treat it as business. You're allowed to do that. So that's enough for the IRS. That's, that is enough for the IRS. But you don't have to tell the bank is a, is a business. You don't Correct. have to tell them anything. Yeah. Okay. Put in a second phone line in your home that you're going to call a business line. Don't tell the phone company it's a business line because they charge more for business <laughs> lines. Um, right. Back in the day when everybody had landlines. Another thing was, so, but you, do you need a separate account? No, but you just need to make sure that your records. You need to have keeping, records. You need okay. to keep records. So that's one. Number two is, you know what? I, the first thing I tell people, you know what? You're not a business if you don't have a business plan. Create a business plan. Every business and every every reputable business has a business plan, and you can get a template form. You can go online and get a free business plan template. Fill in the blanks. Keep it in your file. That's that's one of the first things you go into an audit and say, I, the, I'm a business. Prove it. Here, here's my here's business, business plan. plan. 
Here are wow. my record keeping. That's something that simple. I th- have because- the biggest smile on my face right now because that is, it, wow, that's just, that's such a, that's a what we call in the podcast a noodle baker. <laughs> a noodle baker. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, that's because that. I mean, you're right. That would be enough to prove. Your business. I have it lends that in and of itself. That and no other record keeping is not going to save you in an audit. However, it's a tool in the toolbox. Right. Hence, my domain actorstoolbox.com, <laughs> which it has nothing there other than a splash page. But, but, but again, think of it this way: tools in the toolbox. And it, you, you acquire a tool and you put it in your toolbox and you take it out and you use it at an appropriate time. Your business, you have a business here. What are the tools that you need to have in your toolbox? Well, you need to, you need to have a way of people being able to get a hold of you. So you need a phone number. You need a phone. You, you, you may want a website. You have business cards. You have headshots. You have, you have an account. You have record keeping. You have a business plan. These are all tools in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And the more healthy your toolbox when you walk into that audit, the, the less likely they are to start from the premise of you have no records and therefore we can't verify anything because you're not allowed to do anything from a tax perspective if you, if you don't have records. You can spend $10,000 in a year as an actor and, and the IRS does not care as long as you do not write that off. They only care if you try to write it off. So you don't have to write off your business expenses if you don't want to. There's no rule saying you have to do that. There is a rule saying you have to declare all your income. Right. Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, Well, that okay. So that's an interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Yep. If you want to write off expenses, they are technically business expenses. So you better have a business plan. Have a business plan. Absolutely. Treating it as right. as if it were a business, that makes perfect sense. Your your you know your name is Micah Scott, and you're going to be an actor known as Pythagoras McClutchbutt. Then now there's in California, I'm allowed to do that under certain parameters without filing any type of paperwork with anybody for any reason. <laughs> However, you know what might be helpful for me to file a, with the county a, what's called a DBA, a DBA, doing business as or a fictitious business statement with the name Pythagoras McClutchbutt. Because it lends to the credibility that I'm treating this as a business. Is, is there an expense to that, by the way? Yeah, there is. There's a CBA. Yeah, yeah. If you do it through an online service, um, it's going to cost you about 125 bucks. If you do it yourself, then you have to get the form from the county and you fill it out. And there's a filing fee, and then you have to publish it for four weeks in a paper. And you know, sometimes it's just worth paying somebody 125 bucks that does that, and it's all done gotcha. four weeks later. But okay. yeah, there is, and and there are a lot of people I know that have gone and filed a DBA um, just for the sake of. Of adding credibility to the fact that this is a business, they treat it that way. And is that the the main reason to do it? Is to add credibility because with a business plan, the second checking account, mm-hmm. and all that stuff is is the DBA uh, overkill? I don't want to oversimplify right. it, but is it is it overkill? Like you know, not necessarily. Not okay. necessarily. How, what, here's the what thing. What would be the impetus to, yep. to, 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 to bring you to that point yep. to go past those other steps? The first time somebody writes a check to Pythagoras McClutch, but I have to go cash it. How am ah, I going to cash it? Okay. I, I, so I take it into my bank or my credit union. I go, hi, this is me. And they go, hmm, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not the name on your ID. Oh, let me pull out my county record here that shows that I have filed a DBA, that I am Pythagoras McClutchbutt. And they go, yeah, okay, we'll cash it. Okay. There's an example. 
Okay. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of you want to use a name. And again, uh, in California, for example, the DBA, the fictitious business name law is you want to start a tax company and you're in, or you want to start a company. In California, as long as your legal last name is part of, and this is, this is old information, so it may have changed since I last researched this, but um, it, the California law used to say as long as your legal last name is part of your company name and your company name does not infer others as being part of the company you're you're allowed to call that company name so your legal last name is johnson so you want to start a dry cleaning company called johnson dry cleaning there's nothing more i need to do than to go i am johnson dry cleaning now if mm-hmm. i call it johnson and sons or johnson and brothers or johnson and company or johnson and others or johnson and johnson now i need to file paperwork i need to file at least a dba if not a partnership or or a corporation or stuff like that so as long as your legal last name is part of the name that you use in the course of your company name and you don't imply others that's good enough hmm. so in some states um that's not good enough that's not you you need there are the rules vary from state to state but there's an example. So now all of a sudden, I, I want to be Johnson and Johnson and Scott dry cleaners. Um, I need to be able to prove that I'm allowed to negotiate or do business as. I need I need to create a legal entity that I can enter into agreements, sign contracts, I can cash checks, I can do all kinds of things. That brings up a whole uh, new world. We're actually running out of time, so, but I, I do want to uh, talk to you about it at some point. Maybe we'll talk about it off the air and I can bring it up uh, again on the podcast or um, I'd kind of like to just pr- pick your brain, but the the whole uh, idea of um, uh, of having a, uh, an actual business entity and uh-huh. having to do the taxes for that business entity. Right. Um, so so th- let me give you a quick answer to that, okay. though, that, that will help you. A sole proprietor business is a Schedule C. Okay. Schedule C is the the term of the Schedule C is called a sole proprietor business. So when you have 1099 or cash income, you have a business, and your business entity is that of a sole proprietor. What if it's not a sole? What if it's like you and two other friends start a production company? Right now, it, is it a partnership? Did you create partnership, or did you create an LLC, or did you create an S corp or a C corp? That now you're into things that you have to do uh, intentionally. To not do anything is a sole proprietor business. If you and I go into business and we're going to do podcasts and we're going to be equal partners, we have to decide either we have to create an entity whereby we prove that this is an equal business or we just agree, uh, you know what, you take it all, you take the lead. So it gets reported to you as a sole proprietor. It's your sole proprietor business. I'm a silent partner, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, in order to establish that. So everybody who has a Schedule C on their tax return is in business. This okay. is why some people in the city of Los Angeles keep getting these notices from the L.A. City Department of Finance saying, you owe us business tax license. And they go, we get calls every day. I don't have a business. You had a Schedule C on your tax return last year. You have a business. No, I don't. I don't have a business. Read the title of what the Schedule C says, sole proprietor business. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Anything we can do to kind of prevent that phone call from happening? <laughs> Don't live in the city of Los Angeles and file a tax return in the state of California, but <laughs> everybody move right now. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad I live in Santa Monica, which well, might have their own rules. San Diego, for example, has the same rule or a similar rule. So Burbank doesn't. So, huh? Yeah. Well, this has been uh, just 
total noodle breaker interview. I'm, I think I'm 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 spent. My brain is melting. Uh, but we do have two questions that we always ask all of our guests. So okay. I, ha- I have to uh, do due dil- diligence to our listeners and ask you these two questions. The first one is. Do you feel as though this business, and now I'm speaking about acting, not okay. necessarily tax thank preparing. You, thank you. Do you feel that this business uh, chose you, or you chose this business? Oh, I've never, I've never thought of the question that way. Um, so I am shooting from the hip, and I reserve the right to revise and amend my remarks on this uh, at a later date after sleeping on it. <laughs> I am going to say that the business chose me. Once I took the first step, once I took the first step, it was apparent. I didn't, I'm not one of those people who always wanted to go into acting, but once I got there, I went, oh, I am home. Wow. Yeah. Once I walked on the stage, I went, oh, I'm home. So, yeah. That's great. I love that answer. Thanks. And the second question that we uh, always ask is if you had one thing, one piece of advice that you could offer to someone who's either just starting out or even who's someone who's established um, from all your years of experience on stage, off stage, what one, what's one piece of advice, like a little nugget, you know, your sort of legacy, what would you like to leave uh, you, you know, what piece of advice would you like to leave with, with um, our listeners or with anybody for that matter? Yeah. Wow. Uh, what a great question. How do, I, how do I not spend an hour answering that? Um, this is a passion business. It's not a money business. You need to have outside income. You need to have a way to pay your bills. Either you need to lower your level of living to be able to live at what you earn as an actor, or you need to have a bill-paying job. But this is a passion-driven business. You don't do this for the money. If this is about the money for you, you're in the wrong business. That's That answer is amazing, and it really hits home right now uh, for me specifically. Maybe it's because it's tax season or, or something, but uh, I really appreciate that answer. Thank you. Uh, and I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to sit down with us, uh, and I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it too, Micah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they go? Uh Personally, they can, uh, my, uh, I mentioned earlier, I don't know if it, it, it was in the, um, uh, the setup and stuff, but my, my personal email address would be Micah, M-I-C-A-H at actorstoolbox.com. I do own that domain, but it's just a splash page up there. It's really an email for me to be able to get my email and stuff. Um, and they're more than welcome to write. And if they want to ask me questions, I'd, I'd love, I love doing the business side of this business and helping people and, I personally I spend a lot of time doing mentoring and and life coach type stuff so so that's kind of a big deal to me so I I offer that to anybody Um, and if they want to know about actors tax prep specifically and I can answer either through the company actors tax prep or or personally I can answer tax questions but you know I'm here today because you asked the president of actors tax prep for somebody to interview and he asked me to to do this so I have to make sure that I do 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 my appropriateness here and make Mm -hmm. sure that David Rogers and his company, Actors Tax Prep, is well noted. And Absolutely. Anybody is more than welcome to go onto the ActorsTaxPrep.com website or give us a call in the office. Um, we are working actors in this office and in this firm. We understand the business of acting and of taxes. So, um, so to get a hold of me personally, they're more than welcome to write to my personal email address, Micah at ActorsToolbox.com, or they can contact the office, Actors Tax Prep.
Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview with, uh, with Micah, and it'll give you some ideas for what you can do uh, for the rest of the year this year and uh, going into tax season next year. We've got a few people we want to thank before I uh, close it out this week. Um, I just want to thank uh, Stephen Fajardo for your uh, generous donation. Um, you know, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't keep going on this podcast without you guys. And uh, we just got another notification of a donation from uh, longtime listener Denise Fleener. So we just want to send out a couple of shout-outs. Thank you, guys. Um, we'll be back to our sort of regular format next week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys then. In the meantime, please check us out on the web at InsideActingPodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash InsideActing. Do a search for us on Facebook. I think we have Facebook.com slash InsideActing now. And you can find us on Actor Rated and iTunes. Leave us a review there. Uh, five-star review if you uh, wouldn't mind and if you have a issue with the podcast or you want to tell us uh, uh, what we could do better send us an email at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com or you can call the podcast um, our number is 213-2-ACTORS that's 213-222-8677 and of course as always don't forget to uh, head on over to insideactingpodcast.com and on the, over on the right-hand side, you'll see a little donate button where you can donate to the podcast. Um, all of this comes out of our pocket. We do all of this stuff, um, you know, uh, without getting paid. So uh, driving to the interview with Micah and, um, you know, our equipment and our bandwidth and our website and so on and so forth is all coming out of pocket. So your donations help keep the podcast going. So um, head on over to InsideActingPodcast.com. On the right-hand side, you'll see a donate button. Two ways to donate. You can either donate one lump sum or you can um, subscribe and uh, on a monthly basis donate 3 5 10 or $20. So that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hopefully you got some, some great information from, from Micah. Um, some some interesting things we talked about after the 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 after the recording um, included things like you know doing taxes for a, a, a company if you want to start up your own your own uh, production company for instance don't have a whole lot of time to talk about that right now and I kind of want to discuss it with Trev so maybe you'll hear that on an upcoming episode and uh, same goes for if you have emailed us or called in recently. Um, I want Trev to be around to kind of respond to those things. So we have gotten your emails, lots of emails recently, lots of voicemails. Thank you so much for being in touch. And uh, I promise we'll get to those in the next couple of episodes. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.